You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Um, Once again, that's 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had been given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God. And wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Can I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, Well, good evening. My name is Ben Milner, one of the pastors here, and we are continuing our sermon series on uh, the two prophets uh, that are very hard to distinguish by name. 
Elijah with a J and Elisha with an S-H. And Elisha is the, um, the one who is the, the mentee. Elijah is the mentor. And Elisha is, um, is this prophet who uh, is obviously younger, and uh, he is um, kind of from a wealthy family within Israel. Elijah was out in the wilderness, kind of making these incursions from outside of Israel and, and trying to start a revival in Israel. This is a time when uh, Israel is in deep moral decline and spiritual decline, and she is basically uh, worshiping idols and false gods. But in that time, God sends Elijah to start a little revival. And, but when Elijah dies, there's almost nothing going on spiritually in Israel. The, the revival is just barely, the embers are going, but <clears throat> just barely starting. But when Elisha comes, he accelerates that revival in, in a large way. And um, we have seen how um, this revival, revival means life. If you don't know what that, it's like spiritual life being revived. Uh, like, uh, that's what it means, spiritual life coming into a place. And the life of God um, is now coming into uh, Israel that was, that was being swamped by uh, this false god, Baal, uh, B-A-A-L, this god of, uh, of violence and death and warfare. And so um, at this point in the story, the revival that uh, Elisha has accelerated in Israel is now uh, actually spilling over the banks of Israel out to the nations. And this is what Israel was always meant to be, a light to the nations, where the nation of Israel was never meant to be enclosed and never meant to uh, keep people out. It was always meant to be a place where um, the life within Israel would spill out onto the nations. Same with the church. Uh, the church is not supposed to be like a holy huddle where we gather, circle the wagons and gather around and keep the world at bay. Uh, we are a place where life is so abundant that it spills out into the community. In theory, that's what we're supposed to be. And so in this story, this remarkable story, I don't know how it got written down. I don't know how it got kept in the memory of Israel. But it is all about this no-name servant girl. I mean, imagine creating a story at this period of history where the hero or the heroine is a girl who is a servant who's been captured by a foreign army I mean, imagine, you know, when Hamas came in, into Israel, uh, and captured all these people and took them back into Gaza with them. Imagine one of them is a little girl who's watched her family be killed by Hamas, and now she is in, uh, in Gaza with those people. That's, what this, that's who this servant girl is. Uh, she, she has probably watched her parents die. And now here she is, this no name, she never has been given a name, that's part of the artistry of the, uh, the composer of this story. There's no name given. And then Naaman, the proud general of Syria, you know, the great Naaman, um, he is actually um, given life by this girl who should hate him because he's the one that actually went in there and did that. He's the one that executed the raid. And yet this girl <clears throat> is so loving of her enemy, as is Yahweh, her God, that she actually offers healing to her captor. And sure enough, he is born again. Verse 14, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And the flesh, you've ever touched a baby's flesh? I mean, it's amazing. And this guy's flesh was leprous. And the, this, this picture of this, this flesh that was uh, leprous uh, turning into a child's flesh is a picture of his soul uh, being born again. And so uh, that's what I want to look at. 
the proud general of Syria, and then this servant girl of Israel. And the way I've heard most people pronounce his name is Naaman. Naaman, verse 1, the commander of Syria's army, so five-star general, and a great man in high favor. So it's going out of his way, and I think almost in a mocking way, to mock the pretensions of the empire. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible, if you've ever read that, this story is in there. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. It's supposedly a children's book, but it's really not. And this story is in there, and this is one of the quotes from the story. Naaman was a very important general and a very important army and a very important country. So he was very, very, very important. And that's what he thought of himself, and that's what the world thought about him. The world held him in highest esteem. He was a mighty man of valor, but then, and here's the tragic part, he was held in highest esteem, but nobody could actually touch the man because he was a leper. He had some skin disease. We're not exactly sure what it was, but it was contagious. Nobody would touch him. He was an outcast. So imagine a desperately lonely, famous celebrity like Matthew Perry. If you don't know, Matthew Perry passed away. Uh, imagine somebody who's everybody loves from afar. They all think he's great, but actually he has absolutely no friends. He has no actual human touch at all. That's, what, that's who Naaman is. And inside, he's so desperate, you know, outwardly he would never have ever admitted that this servant girl could help him. He would never admit that. But inwardly, he's so desperate that he's willing to listen to this girl. She says to him in verse 3, my God will heal you if you just go to Elijah, the prophet down in Israel. And uh, he doesn't go to the prophet. He actually goes, where does he go? He goes to the king, because he's proud still, and he thinks that uh, if he's going to be healed by the God of Israel, it's going to have to be the king that he goes to that will bring the healing. And the king of Israel is so proud that he thinks that Syria is picking a fight by going down there and uh, setting up this situation where there's no way Naaman will be healed, and so they'll have a pretext to start a fight against Israel. So the king of Israel thinks it's a setup for a fight, and he basically says, uh, he tears his robe and says, like, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you because I know what you're doing here. And so in the end, you have Naaman the Syrian and his great retinue of horses and chariots, and they're standing outside of this tiny little shack where Elisha lives, little tiny door, little tiny house. And I'm sure that Naaman was expecting the red, well, we know he, he was expecting the red carpet treatment because he, uh, he gets very mad later on when he doesn't get it. He's expecting Elisha to come running out of his door and like bowing down and I can't believe that you have graced me with your presence. You know, the great Naaman. But I love what Elisha does and he's definitely poking the bear here. He knows what he's doing. Verse 10. It says, but Elisha sent out a messenger. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean. And you would think that hearing that news that this is why Naaman has come down there with all his soldiers and uh, he has given up quite a bit and humbled himself. You would think that he would be thrilled to hear that the great prophet has promised him healing, but he couldn't get over his ego. In verse 11, it says he was angry and he said to himself, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand and cure my leprosy. And I don't know exactly what waving the hand means. But some kind of like Benny Hinn, if you know that, uh, like faith healers, like kind of, the, well, they'll 
hits you on the head and you go backwards or some kind of spiritual pyrotechnics. He was expecting something sensational and dramatic. And you know, evangelical Christians love the dramatic. We love uh, these massive conversion stories or something where you see someone actually like have a limb that is healed publicly and everybody cheers. You know, we are a celebrity culture. Uh, the evangelical culture is very much a, like mega church celebrity pastor culture. And that's what Naaman wanted because he's an important man. And he wanted people to see that uh, his healing was an important healing. The, the Jesus Story Bible says, any person could wash in that river. I am an important man and my healing should be important too. And even the Jordan River offends him. And if you know about the Jordan River, I've never been there, but I've seen pictures. And oftentimes, a lot of the year, it's just like, uh, it's like Silas Creek or Peter's Creek. If you've ever been to Silas Creek or Peter's Creek, just a little creek or the one that runs through Ronaldo Gardens, that little tiny creek, it's, it's not a big deal. It's kind of muddy. It's kind of gross. Um, he says in verse 12, are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? All the different rivers of Israel combined are not even worth comparing to one of our great rivers in Syria. And it says that he turned away and he went in a rage. So uh, I don't know what changed, but at this point, he's not going to take um, the instructions of Elisha seriously. He, um, he's too proud. And he's too self-important. He thinks too highly of himself. He's not going to lower himself to that level. And... You know, I hope you're thinking about your own life here and not about somebody else that you dislike. I hope you're not thinking about somebody else you think is proud, but you're thinking about yourself in areas where in your life uh, you want to be distinguished and you want to make a name for yourself and you want to be seen as somebody uh, who is not like the rabble, like not like one of the herd. But I'm spiritually different. Um, you know, Rich Mullins, I'm reading this biography, an arrow pointing to heaven of Rich Mullins, and he wore uh, just like a t-shirt and, and jeans with holes in them for a long time in concerts. And then he realized that um, people were wearing jeans with holes in them. So he stopped wearing those and he wore nicer clothes. And then he realized, I'm just trying to distinguish myself, so I just got to stop all this stuff. Um, but even after the healing of Naaman, some, somewhere along the line, he, he actually humbles himself and is willing to go to the Jordan. He does it. And, uh, and even after the healing, he still wants to distinguish himself from other people. And so it says in verse 15, accept now this present from your servant. You know, we, we always want to pay back God um, for his salvation and his grace. We've got to do something to show uh, that we have earned this, that uh, it, it couldn't just be entirely for free. You know, it's got to be something where we can at least give back and show, uh, show how grateful we are, we always say. But really, it's just a way of saying, I want to, um, I want to, sh to let people know that uh, it's, it couldn't just be free. It can't just be gratis and all for nothing. Um, but God says, no, I'm going to make you like a little child. And little children, you know, if you look at children in their homes, uh, they don't walk around with money. Children in homes do not walk around with cash or credit cards. They don't pay for their meals. They would never think to pay for their meal. And in the household of God, which is what we are, we should be the same way. Children of God who know that, um, you know, we, all of grace is free. It's, it's all free. And so that should, that should determine the way we live. And 
And the Storybook Bible says all that Naaman needed was nothing. <clears throat> all he needed was nothing. It was the one thing he didn't have. And to be a healthy spiritual family like I would want us to be and pray for us to be, um, we, we have to come up. You know, we, we put this, this table at the center of our service, as, not because we, like, we're trying to figure out how to make the coolest church service. This is what Christians have done for thousands of years. But when we come up here to take the Lord's Supper, that's why we do this. Because this says, uh, I bring nothing in my hands to the equation. The only thing you bring to your salvation is your sin, really. And so we just come up here, uh, and nobody like, has grabbed the bread yet. I'm so glad that nobody has done that. They don't like grasp at it. Nor does anyone grab the cup and like, just take it for themselves. And nobody's brought up any money yet um, to try to pay for any of this stuff up here, because we know it would be absurd to try to pay for the Lord's Supper, because it's free. And um, we, and our open palms are like, that's like the breaking of our, you know, we're usually like this, like mine, you know, I have my stuff. And so this is like the opening of the palms, like, like the breaking open of our ego. And all that space between our hands is like the empty space for gratitude. That's what drives the Christian life forward is gratitude every single day. Gratitude for the stuff God has given you to eat or drink, just the grace of a beautiful day like this. Uh, but also that mostly the gratitude for forgiveness, gratitude for God's um, gift of spiritual life to you, uh, gratitude for the community of God, his church. But um, when we come up like this and then go out to one another with open arms and open, that's what creates the spiritual family of God. You know, if we're like this, like uh, our arms crossed, that's not going to create a healthy spiritual family. Or if we're like this, or if we're like that, like keep away. All those things are broken uh, like Naaman. And I, I can only imagine um, Naaman turning towards the, the servant girl when he got back to, to his home in Syria and just embracing her. And maybe even on his knees as he thought about what she did for him. But that's what it means to be filled with freely bestowed love. Just love lavished on you. You know, in this tiny little Jordan River uh, for nothing, nothing spectacular. No need to earn approval. No need to distinguish yourself. Think about what your life would be like if you didn't have to do this. That's the proud general of Syria. And now uh, the no-name servant girl of Israel. The only thing we know about her, again, is that she is a casualty of, uh, of Syria, of the armies of Syria, who are driven by false gods like Baal, gods of conquest and aggression and war, uh, which drive all the nations, including today. Verse 2, on one of their raids, the Assyrians carried off a little girl from Israel who worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And since Naaman was the commander of the armies of Syria, that means he was the one that perpetrated the acts that led to her parents' death. Uh, these were ugly things. Ancient Near Eastern raids were brutal, terrible things. Uh, looting was a big part of it. Destruction, abuse. It says in the story of the Bible, every night she cried herself to sleep because she had lost everything. And it's amazing to think of her waking up every day in the house of the man who did these things to her and her family. And you would think that she would hate him and would fantasize about his death. And that just the sight of his face would trigger like violent emotions in her, you know, some kind of trauma in her. I don't know how that didn't happen. But somehow when she hears Naaman's wife weeping, 
in verse 3, and this is, this is the, I mean, this is the revival spilling over into Syria through this girl, because she knew about Elisha somehow. Maybe her parents were involved in the revival, but this girl's heart is at the heart of the, the revival of God's life. I wish my Lord were with the prophet Elisha because he could cure him of leprosy. I mean, she, was so, she is so confident in the Lord. She is so loving and wholeheartedly working for the good of Naaman and his wife. And somehow her heart is resonating with Naaman's heart of pain. And she's probably thinking, I might, he might feel lonely like I do. You know, he might, be, he might have to be separated from his loved ones like I am. And, and that's just the heart of a person who's been caught up in the revival of God. I can't even imagine uh, that kind of compassion for someone that, uh, that I should hate. Again, think about somebody, a, a Jewish hostage whose family was killed in the October 7th massacre, and, and now they are blessing the people uh, in Hamas around them in Gaza. I, I, um, I love the, the He Gets Us commercial campaign. I don't know if you've seen any of those commercials, but um, the one that I liked the most was on the Super Bowl last year. These are, all little, these are all really good black and white photos with good voiceovers and music. At the end of it, it always says, He Gets Us, and it has a little tagline. And the one that was my favorite from the Super Bowl said, Jesus loves the people we hate. And it's after showing all these angry people yelling at each other, like in political and cultural battles, Jesus loves the people we hate. And the love of Jesus ushers Naaman into a whole new kind of life that he could never have imagined. This violent general who was so proud, and now the love of the Messiah, of Yahweh, the God of Israel. Verse 14, he and his pride went down. I love how it says he went down into the Jordan, maybe on his knees down in the little Silas Creek, muddy river, barely a river, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And not so much clean outwardly, although that too, but mostly his heart was clean. His heart was clean, the, the pride. It's like baptism. Um, baptism is just so ordinary. And I remember when I got baptized, um, the preacher had to actually stand on um, like a podium kind of thing so that he could be above me. But I just thought he's speaking like a few words and he's using a little bit of tap water. He got it out of the faucet in the back of the church. Like I want something special. I want to go to the Jordan, which is ironic since the Jordan is like this dirty river. But I, I thought like I want something special, but it's so ordinary. A baptism is so incredibly like nondescript and kind of lame in one sense. It's so mundane. And that's the whole purpose of it, is that uh, we don't need special water. We don't need water from the Jordan River. Uh, some Christians like to bring back water from the Jordan. They're missing the whole point. Uh, the, the point is that um, although uh, it's, it's not just a symbol, the symbol is a humble thing. This humble stuff of water and a few words and then out of that comes all this power, the power to make someone clean. I mean, baptism does have power in it. Although outwardly it looks like nothing at all, inwardly it's incredibly powerful. And it fills uh, Naaman with this childlike trust. Notice his response to it, just spontaneously out of his heart. Now I know there's no God but the God of Israel, verse 15. 
Now I know there's no God but the God of the servant girl. Uh, now I know there's no God but the God whose life is unceasing, boundless grace, just overflowing. For sinners who are clueless about the freedom of God's love. Again, as, as Naaman immediately tries to uh, offer something to God. Sinners who are clueless about the free love of God, um, that's the God who he worships. Even when, um, when Elisha refuses to accept payment, it's interesting that Naaman's next move is to ask for some, some of the dirt around the Jordan River. Because he's now, as a good pagan, he's thinking magically that that dirt has some power. That dirt had some power to make his leprosy clean. So he's still in this kind of pagan, superstitious, magical thinking mindset. Um, but even then, uh, that's verse 17, give me two mule loads of earth. Even then, uh, God just keeps showing him grace. In spite of his, in, like our ability to grasp our salvation has very little to do with God's ability to give it. I mean, it, it, it's not about how well you grasp. You don't have to believe in salvation by faith alone, to be saved by faith alone. In fact, m- none of us really ever do grasp exactly how, how much alone the faith is. But when, he, when Elisha um, is asked by Naaman if Naaman can keep worshiping his old gods, I find that quite an astounding thing to ask. But in verse 18, Naaman says, uh, when I go back to my false god of Rimmon, um, will you just assure me that God's going to still pardon me, even though, even though I'm going back to, to worship? And this happens with a lot of Muslims when they become Christians. They go back to uh, the mosque and continue to bow um, on their prayer mat. And, uh, and they do that because they don't want to be killed. And I know some people who say they should never do that. They should never go back and, and do that again because now they're Christians. Um, but it's amazing that you would think Elisha would say, didn't you just confess that God was the God of Israel, and the only God? Didn't you just get rid of that paganism and that polytheism? Uh, you know, are you really a coward that you would say, can I go back and worship my God in Rimmon? But that's not what Elisha says. He's like, sure, go in peace, verse 19. And I think it just shows that um, we, never have, we never can outgrow grace, God's grace. Uh, that uh, even to cowards like Naaman, who's hiding his faith, essentially, and not willing. I mean, he could just go to the king of Syria and say, look, I am a believer in Yahweh. Fire me, kill me, do whatever you want, but I'm not going to deny my faith. But he, he's not brave enough to do that. And so um, God says, go in peace. I know your fears. I know your heart. He says, go in peace. And grace uh, isn't just get, isn't what gets you in the door. It's not just what moves you into the kingdom. It's what keeps you in the kingdom. You know, so grace is Christianity 101, 201, 301, grad school, PhD, postdoc. Everything is grace all the way through the Christian life. It's, it never stops being grace. And that's what kills our pride. I would like to think that I need less grace now than I did when I was 21. Now that I'm 52, I'm hoping that I am um, 31 years more, uh, less in need of grace, you know, more able to walk on my own, more mature than I was at 21 when I became a Christian. And I was reflecting in Raleigh when I was there on Friday watching my son at NC State uh, playing basketball and just thinking, how much have I matured since college? I mean, it's, I remember being in college and um, playing basketball and being really, um, like, cursing a lot and being really aggressive and just, uh, just kind of mean a lot as a basketball player. I'm very proud. 
And now, you know, now that I'm 52, like that's a lot of that's gone. I was thinking to myself, uh, in contrast, um, how much I've matured. And then on the way home, I almost ran out of gas. Like I was in Hendersonville, which uh, no, it's Henderson, I think. Henderson. I, I can't stand this place now. I, I, I was in Henderson, and uh, my car. I could, I tr could not find a single gas station for like miles and miles and miles. It was unbelievably frustrating. I wanted to get out of Raleigh, get out of the traffic, and then get gas. When I got in my car in Raleigh, it said 13 miles. I was like, I got this. I'm going go to I'm gonna go and get through the traffic and then get to Henderson and get gas. And there's literally like five exits with, with no gas station. And so I got off in Henderson, and my car said I have zero miles left. And I was, uh, I was like slamming the, uh, the steering wheel. I, I have not uh, acted this way for a long, long time. This was on Friday. Um, and I was cursing Durham, the city of Durham, with its lack of gas stations, <laughs> yelling at Margie. And then I was blaming Siri for being so stupid and like not finding the right gas station. Um, but I went for a, a couple miles on zero. And uh, I went really slowly tried to almost never accelerate, but, but God brought us to this Exxon. And uh, when, we got, when we rolled into Exxon, Margie said, shouldn't we thank God now? And I just got out of the car and slammed the door. I was so, <laughs> so frustrated. And um, I just, I, I thought about the lyrics of the song later that day. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor the author of that hymn knew that it didn't go away. Your debt to grace did not diminish. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let that grace like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And so every meal uh, we take at this, um, at this table, it's just children asking our dad to forgive us again, to love us again. Sometimes we don't even know the ways he needs to forgive us, but we just come to our dad and like, we need... We need your grace again. And, uh, and it happened, the, the grace was given to us on the night that we actually betrayed God. On the night we betrayed our Messiah. It was on that night, uh, not the night that we uh, waved our palm branches and said hallelujah. Um, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. We, that was not that night. It was the night that... Um, Judas uh, betrayed him with a kiss, and Peter walked away and denied him three times, and all the other disciples fled in, in their fear and their cowardice. It was before all those events happened. Jesus very knowingly, he, he knew exactly what was going to happen, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, I know what you're going to do to me, and I love you anyway. That's why I'm doing this. This is my body broken for you, and... In the same way he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And whenever we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we once again proclaim just this gracious God of Israel that has come and found us um, and has uh, subdued us with his grace and broken our pride and uh, called us back to himself every week with our hands open. And um, I'm going to pray for us as we come to this table uh, that God would meet us here in these very ordinary elements. But um, if you're not a believer, if you're not somebody that has, uh, has ever experienced uh, the cleansing of the heart that Jesus can bring, 
Uh, we're really glad you're here, and I, I pray we all, people pray every week in our church that the people who don't believe would come here, because we want it to be, as Austin was saying earlier, a place for all people. So welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, but if you don't feel comfortable doing this, we don't want to force anyone to do something they don't believe in. This is, for, this is completely voluntary. So only do this if you really believe in this. Um, but the bar is very low, obviously, from my story. You can have done what I did and still are welcome to this table. So, Father, I pray that you would melt our hearts and show us, God, um, how to become like a little child. Unless you become like a little child, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. And I pray that you would break our pride. I pray that um, we would receive salvation like the bread put into our hands. And uh, I pray that uh, this night, this meal, uh, would change us, make our, this would change our week. It would uh, just uh, catapult us into the week with a new mindset and a new attitude. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you want the grape juice, Remember, we love these rascals.